This is an audio described tour for UTS Art, supported by the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion in collaboration with 2SER. This is an audio described tour of the exhibition Closed Worlds at University of Technology Gallery, Sydney, 7th of May to 28th of June, 2019. Curated by Lydia Calipoliti. Standing outside the gallery in the foyer space near the lifts and looking into the gallery through the floor-to-ceiling glass wall that forms the front of the gallery, the extended title of the exhibition is featured in large black vinyl lettering applied to the glass. The title reads, The Architecture of Closed Worlds, or What is the Power of Shit? In a heavy uppercase sans-serif font, with each letter tightly packed against the next, and narrow notches used to create the shapes of the letters in the thick black lines, creating a compacted effect that is difficult to read close up. Looking through to the gallery within, to an open rectangular space with grey concrete floor and white walls. The floor space is clear, but the airspace within the room is filled with a series of suspended white cylinders, about 90 centimetres in diameter and 50 centimetres deep, resembling large lampshades hanging from the ceiling. Each of these is open at the top and bottom and hanging at various heights above the ground. Each one features a different question in the same dense black font around the outside, such as, how clean is your indoor air? Can the body plug into the computer? Can curved walls keep your house warm in 47 degree weather? Are fish reproductive in outer space? How feasible is a zero carbon city in the middle of the desert? Just before entering the gallery, there is a freestanding wall on the left with a panel of text facing outwards. The text reads, in part, Closed Worlds, curated by Lydia Calipoliti, exhibits an archive of 41 historical living prototypes from 1928 to the present that put forth an unexplored genealogy of closed resource regeneration systems. Prototypes are presented through unique discursive narratives with historical images, and each includes new analysis in the form of a feedback drawing that problematizes the language of environmental representation by illustrating loss, derailment, and the production of new substances and atmospheres. Each drawing displays a feedback loop wherein man's physiology of ingestion and excretion becomes the combustion device of an organisational system envisioned for humans, animals and other live species. The moments of failure portrayed when closed worlds escape the designed loop cycles raise a series of questions about the ontology of autonomous enclosures. To read this text panel in full, go to the next link. A flat screen on the back of the front wall panel is showing a documentary on a loop. To read the text panel about the video, go to the next link. On entering the gallery, which is 14.5 metres long by 12 metres wide, there is a large floor-to-ceiling poster hanging on the left-hand wall. This is made up of four panels of tarpaulin printed with scattered panels of text, images and large font titles. This poster displays 
speculative design projects, various figures of types of man and buildings designed by architects, and references to relevant legislation and closed system guidelines. Wrapping around the far long wall and shorter one at the end of the room is a timeline spanning both walls, 24 metres in length. This timeline features all 41 projects featured in the exhibition in a horizontal trajectory that includes black geometric symbols, which indicate project types, and coloured vertical bars to show types of net zero impact. There is a clear perspex rack containing printed pamphlets with information about each project that can be selected for further reading by visitors. There is a text panel at the start of the timeline, which reads, in part, Welcome to Closed Worlds. We invite you to explore various elements of the exhibition and to take home leaflets that expand upon each of the 41 prototypes displayed in the gallery. To learn more, please visit the Lexicon on Environmental History derived from the study of the 41 prototypes at www.closedworlds.net. The 41 projects include 01, the 1928 Cunningham Sanatorium, 02, 1931 FNRS Balloon, 03, 1943 Aqualung Amphibian Man, 04, 1956 House of the Future, 05, 1956 Thermo Balloon, 06, 1960 Climatron, 07, 1960 Feedback Man, and so on. The visitor now has a choice as to whether to follow the timeline around the wall to look at the projects in historical order, or to enter the open space containing the floating cylinders, to duck and weave amongst them, and choose to enter the semi-enclosed headspace that each one offers, to view the information provided inside. The cylinders are 90 centimetres wide in diameter and 40 centimetres high. There are 41 in total. Each one poses a large font question on the outside and contains a wealth of information in text and graphic form. Let's take a look at a few of these cylinders as an example. Number 3. 1943. Aqualung. Can man become an amphibian? Inside, text reads, Jacques Cousteau and Émile Gagnon, Paris, France, 1943. Even though devices already existed that enabled underwater breathing, the aqualung was significant in its ability to allow a diver to stay submerged for much longer periods of time. Invented by undersea explorer, researcher and photographer Jacques Cousteau and French engineer Émile Gagnon, the aqualung differed from other compressed air devices at the time due to its demand regulator, which delivered air to the diver at the appropriate pressure on demand. In order for humans to begin to freely explore the sea, Cousteau and Gagnon's invention created a simple and safe device that opened the door for further exploration and interest in the undersea world. As we turn clockwise within the display tube, at eye level, a panel of diagrams and illustrations show the three-cylinder apparatus from different angles, with straps to harness it around the chest and a mouthpiece for breathing into. A flowchart on the right shows various symbols under the headings Closed Worlds and Odom's Energies with corresponding definitions such as Conversion Energy Loss and System Input Slash Output. 
numbered paragraphs further round on the right briefly outline various features and drawbacks of the project. For example, one-way exhaust valve, a valve used to enforce a one-way operation of a system, allowing waste to be expelled without the entrance of new material. A one-way exhaust valve was used in Jacques Cousteau's Aqualung to enable a full exhalation of air into the surrounding water without any intake of water into the system. Another example, experimental casualties, one. While the Aqualung was a success, many deaths occurred while experimenting undersea breathing technology, from the bends to embolisms. The Aqualung is still used in modern diving technology today in improved models. As we turn clockwise again, within the cylindrical display unit, another series of illustrations and photographs from different periods. A dated-looking drawing of an early version of a diving outfit depicts a man with webbed footwear and a large inflated balloon attached to his back. Patent drawings of Cousteau's designs for demand regulator and mouthpiece. And a photograph showing a hamster and a mouse suspended in supersaturated liquid oxygen containers. Let's jump into another cylinder. Number 20, 1972, The Ecological House. What is the power of shit? Graham Kane and the Street Farmers, South London, 1972. Turning clockwise to the right, text reads, in 1972, Graham Kane, a member of the anarchist group Street Farmers, built a house as a laboratory and a living experiment empowered by his own excrement. The ecological house was not only a fully functioning integrated system that successfully converted human waste to methane for cooking, but was also built by its architect, who used himself and his family as a guinea pig. Ecological house features a complex architectural diagram, and this project is also featured in the VR experience. To hear more about the VR experience, go to the next link. Let's check out one more cylinder, number 33. Can Humanity Recreate Itself in a Miniature Earth Bubble? 1991, Biosphere 2. Inside, text reads, Biosphere 2 remains the largest and most famous closed ecological system ever built. Its purpose was to test the viability of a biologically regenerative artificial environment in order to support human habitat in space. Space Biosphere's venture, a venture between Ed Bass, a businessman and philanthropist, and John P. Allen, a systems ecologist and environmentalist, spent approximately $200 million to build and sustain the facility. Biosphere 2 supported two experiments where a team of scientists would lock themselves from the exterior world and create their own food and air supply within a heavily sequestered and maintained series of ecosystems. Project 33 Biosphere 2 is also featured in the video screening on the wall in which archival footage can be seen showing people waving and farewelling visitors attending the sealing in of the scientists and later awaiting their re-entry into the outside world. The waiting visitors hold placards featuring slogans such as Welcome back to Biosphere 1, the Earth. More information about the video can be read at this link. Living in an Ecological Microcosm, Virtual Reality Experience by Amber Bartosz. 
The Closed Worlds VR experience positions you as a user within a virtual diagram of two ecological houses built in the 1970s in London and Sydney. Both houses were built as laboratories and living experiments. They were occupied by their architects as part of the experiment. Virtual reality initiates an experience through different sounds and perspectives to convey the conversion of waste to energy. Your involvement evolves as you move, following the flow of energy and materials inside the ecological microcosms. There are two choices in the virtual reality headsets, the Ecological House and the Sydney Autonomous House. The Ecological House, Graham Kane, London, 1972. One of the earliest ecological houses, the Ecological House or Street Farmhouse was built in Eltham, South London in 1972 as a laboratory and living experiment by Graham Kane, a member of the anarchist group Street Farmers, originally formed by Peter Cromp and Bruce Hackett. The Ecological House was a fully functional integrated system that converted human waste to methane for cooking as well as maintained a hydroponic greenhouse with radishes, tomatoes, even bananas. Kane, then a 26-year-old fourth-year student at the Architectural Association of London, designed and built the ecological house on borrowed land from Thames Polytechnic as part of his diploma thesis at the AA. He received a provisional two-year permit from the Borough of Woolwich District Survey with the promise to build an inhabitable housing laboratory that would grow vegetables out of household effluents and fertilise the land with reprocessed organic waste. After having lived in the house for two years with his family, Kane was asked to destroy it in 1975. Throughout the construction process, Kane used himself and his family as a guinea pig in order to test the function of several components of the house. He experimented with his waste, his cooking habits, his use of water, monitoring closely every activity of daily practice until the day the house was demolished. Kane was undoubtedly the steward of the house. He alone knew how to feed the house with the right nutrients, how to chop wood, grow plants, supply the engines and water the greenhouse. The architect, therefore, was an indispensable biological part of the house he built and portrayed himself as a combustion engine for generating electricity, connected to the house in a diagram where excretion becomes a vital constituent of the system's sustenance. In many respects, the house was more grown than constructed. It needed care from its caretaker, and without human presence, its living biotechnical systems would degenerate and die. Describing his house as a life support system, Kane satirically argued that the architect now being involved with the house's biological cycles may now relate to his own shit. Research by Lydia Calipoliti. The Sydney Autonomous House, Sydney, 1974-1978. In the mid-1970s, architecture students at the University of Sydney gave Australia its first autonomous house. Their ambitions were grounded in broad environmental and social concerns, but more specifically responded to a global energy anxiety emerging from the 1973 oil crisis. Encouraged by the charismatic and politically engaged lecturer Colin Cole James, 
Around 20 excited students used scavenged and recycled materials to build a structure on campus that could test the integration of various technologies for domestic self-sufficiency. The project included a wind-driven generator for power and the students' own designs for a beer bottle Trombe Michel greenhouse wall, flat plate solar hot water heater and methane digester. While the students embarked on a DIY showcase for closed systems ecological design, they ended up with much more. A dozen people or more turned the structure into a home and continued to expand and tinker with it, installing a sleeping loft, growing a permaculture garden, raising goats, building a Coolgardie safe, all the while monitoring and reflecting on the experience. Exploring models for more ecologically attuned design and dwelling became as important as any technical testing. In the end, what was meant to be a one-year, student-led design-build exercise spilled over into a four-year public experiment in sustainable living that gained coverage in national and international press. The house was host to a series of utopian energy fairs where children ran amongst the rabbit hutches, goat pen and the organic vegetable garden. It featured in television programs, magazine articles and was visited by thousands of people. A mail-order pamphlet distributed the students' own reflections on their strange experiment, which they'd come to call the Celluloid House, due to its media profile. The intermittent power supply, overheating greenhouse and malfunctioning methane digester had offered some hard lessons to offset the effusive interest. The students' faltering, sometimes naive, attempts to build a functioning autonomous house grew into a sustained everyday engagement with an assortment of issues from environmental pollution and resource depletion to consumerism and centralised industrialization. The redesign of the domestic realm offered particular possibilities at a time when the personal was becoming articulated as political. The Sydney Autonomous House became a site where the students' private actions and budding professional practices could align with planetary needs. The emerging ecological consciousness of the 1970s manifested through building. Still, the experiment was barely tolerated by much of the faculty. University administration detested the ramshackle eyesore in their backyard. It was bulldozed in late 1978. Research by Lee Stickles a flat screen on the back of the front wall panel is showing a documentary on a loop, Biospheres and the Rise of Botanical Capital. The documentary explores three large-scale enclosed complexes which reproduce fully controlled sections of the natural world. The Eden Project in Cornwall, England, the Melissa Microecological Life Support System Alternative in Barcelona, and the Biosphere 2 in Oracle, Arizona. A text panel reads... Since Climatron in St. Louis, Missouri in the 1960s, large-scale interiors housing whole biomes of climatic regions have emerged in recent years, reflecting the hoopery of late modern capitalism in the heightened combination of entertainment and ecology within a controlled environment. These closed worlds are not only key sites of engineering and environmental production, but also revive what was previously considered a utopian project in the post-war period, to temper and fabricate the environment as a site of architectural production. Similarly to the botanical worlds of Eden and Biosphere 2, the Mazda Institute in the United Arab Emirates, the Dubai Ski Centre, 
the New Century Global Center in Chengdu, China, as well as the integrated casino resorts in Macau. The recent revival of artificial manufactured natures is astonishing to witness and analyze as a paradoxical response to the global energy crisis and the intensification of detrimental natural events. Biospheres were born under the background of a persistent public belief that catastrophe due to climate change and insufficient resources is imminent and thus emulates a new technologically equipped type of spaceship Earth or a Noah's Ark for the Earth's depleting flora. Lydia Calipoliti and Daniel Ruin, sponsored by the Robert S. Brown 52 Faculty Fellowship Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, New York.